Reverend Bill Tate. Our preacher this morning is our good friend and fellow church member, the Reverend Bill Tate. Uh, Bill is, since his graduation from seminary, he's been involved with evangelistic work in India. And uh, we've been a part of that for a little while, but uh, he's also has gone all around the country. He knows more churches, more preachers than anyone here. Up and down the East Coast and the Midwest, all the way out in California, they know him, he knows them. And we're so glad that he says, well, I'll come and I'll be a member here at Lottie's Church and I'll preach on occasion too. So Bill, we look forward to your message this morning from God's Word. I don't know if you're like I am or not, but I associate certain phrases with certain people. There's a pastor that I would phone throughout the years and I would say, how are you today? And he'd say, better than I deserve. <laughs> you might know who that is. Another pastor, Lutheran pastor outside of Kutztown, when I talked to him on the phone, he never said goodbye. He said, keep praying and keep praising. So you'd talk to him and you'd finish the conversation. I'd say, well, nice talking to you today. He'd say, keep praying, keep praising. And then there was a Mennonite farmer that I really knew for a number of years. He was sort of easygoing, but uh, every now and then I'd talk to him about things and he'd say, well, the Lord will provide if he wants you to have it. And he would always respond with that. And in Genesis 22, we have the story of Abraham and Isaac and God provided a ram in a thicket so that Abraham would not have to sacrifice his son. In Genesis 22:14, we read, so Abraham called that place Jehovah Jireh on the mountain of the Lord provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now in the Old Testament, Jireh literally means to see. And in Hebrews 4.13, we read, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And actually, there's great comfort in that passage because that's telling us God sees us he knows our individual circumstances, what we're going through, what we're facing. He knows how he made us. And he also knows our church and what's going on there. He sees everything that's happening. That brings me great comfort. Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's knowledge. God sees what's going on. The Lord will provide has really been prominent throughout my life and ministry. Um, last month, I was ordained 52 years ago. That's hard to believe when I'm only 40 years old. But. <laughs> when I first started in this ministry, I was given a territory from Norfolk, Virginia to New Hampshire to cover all the states. I don't know if you know how vast that is, and I was to call on pastors. I didn't know anybody. I had not driven in a lot of those places. I just had a map. When I went, I used to go by myself. And so my schedule would be, I would call on a pastor at 9 o'clock, 1 at 10.30, 1 at 1, 1 at 3. Then I'd eat dinner by myself. Then I'd go to a motel by myself. I'd get up the next morning and eat breakfast by myself. Then I'd do those four appointments all over again. I didn't like that. I don't know why I ever got myself into this, but that's what God led for me to do. 
And so I remember as I drive out my driveway, I would think, what are you doing? This is a kind of a foreboding thing as far as my personality goes. So my first trip to Norfolk, Virginia, I called on a church, Tabernacle Church in Norfolk, which was huge in missions. And I met with a pastor and he said, we have a week for missions every year and I want you to come and be a part of that week and we'll provide lodging for you and everything. And so I went down to Virginia again for that week and went to the home of Bill and Annis Jolly. Now Annis was a kind of Southern Virginia person. She pronounced there different than you and I do, T-H-E-R-E, we say there. She had it two syllables. You can come over there is the way she said it. And uh, when I went to their house, they said, this is your home while you're in Virginia. The second car we have, that'll be yours to use. I discovered it was a stick shift. I was glad I learned to drive on a tractor and was able to use it. So being on strange roads on top of it, I had a stick shift car. But I got to know them very well that week. And at the end of the week, they said, if you come back to call on to more churches, we want you to come and stay with us. And she was a good cook, so that really meant a lot. First time I ever went to Washington, D.C., a fellow had ordered some Bibles from us. His name, he was Captain Robert Bruce Bauman. And I went to his house at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. His wife was young. I, I was expecting a gray-haired captain. And uh, she said, well, Bruce is not here now, but he'll be back at 5 o'clock. Come on back and then. So I went back, and uh, I had a nice visit with them. And they said, where are you staying? I said, well, a motel. They said, why spend the money for a motel? You can stay here. So I stayed there, and the next time I came, they invited me to come again. And uh, we were at the dinner table, and they said, what are the dates that you're coming down to Washington, D.C. again? And I said, I gave them the dates, and Bruce said, well, I won't be home then, and we're going to have some other people stay here, but you're still welcome to come. And we were having dinner, and they had, his daughter was about one year old and four years old. And his daughter said, he can sleep with mommy. Well, it was a very good solution. The bed was empty. There was a spot there. She thought she was being very nice. None of us cracked a smile at the table. We just kept right on going, but I'll never forget that. But Bruce and Barb really began to be good friends, and they actually came to my wedding when I was married here 19 years ago. I looked in my rearview mirror as I was driving to church. There was Bruce and Barb in the car behind me. And uh, he actually made it possible for me to speak at a chapel at the Pentagon once, and um, he, his father died, and he had an inheritance, and they alone underwrote a whole year's strategy for a three-year unreached people group, $31,750. And uh, so just meeting them, it wasn't just their home that God had in mind. Then in Boston, Glenn and Shirley Sacred, that became my home there. When I was 12, I went through church membership class at a Methodist church. I grew up in a Methodist church, and uh, Ed Hunter was the pastor, and he took us through the church membership class, and my parents came to the service when I joined the church, and he said to them in front of me, I think Billy would make a good minister. Honestly, that was God's word to me from the 12, year, 12 years old. I knew what I wanted to be. 
And uh, I became close with him because I was going to go into ministry. I met with him from the time I was 12 to I was 16, where I'd go to college and so forth, and we'd talk about it. And then a horrible thing happened when I was 16. He said he was leaving the church in Pennsylvania. He's going to take a church in California. And I thought, I'll never have another pastor friend again that I'll know. Little did I know that God would put me in a ministry where I would meet pastor after pastor, and there would be 16 pastors come to my wedding here. That's how we don't know what God is going to do. And then I also didn't know that maybe 15 years from there, I would have an assignment to call on churches in Southern California. I would get back in touch with Ed Hunter, and his home became my home in California. He said, the latch is always on the outside. That's what he would say to me. And then one Sunday afternoon, I was at home, my parents' house, and there was a knock on the door. There was a fellow by the name of Lane Garrett, who was our neighbor years ago. He took me on my first fishing trip in the back creek I was about four or five years old, and he was about eight. And since then, he'd gotten married. He moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and he was a born-again Christian. And he said, I just came to your house to see if your parents were still alive, if they're still here. And we talked, and he said, we have a great missions program at Scottsdale Bible Church where I belong. If you wanted to come out to Phoenix, you could stay at our home. Another provision, and I can introduce you to some people. And I started going to Phoenix. I stayed with Lane Garrett and really ended up working with many churches in the Phoenix area. I want you to, I told you all this to say that God provided a home for me in every major city where I worked. No by myself in motels, no by myself eating dinner. I always had dinner in people's houses, always had breakfast. Talk about the provision of the Lord. So, Mark 10, 28 through 30 says, Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times more in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields. And with this persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. God certainly brought that passage true in my own life, and I will forever be grateful because I hate to be by myself in a motel and hate to eat by myself. Secondly, I believe that God has a plan for each one of our lives. I think it's very important that, that we think about that. We, we say, are we following the plan that God has for my life? And it's different for all of us. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I will share something with you I've never shared publicly before. This is a secret that don't tell anybody. When I was called into this work, the pastor that I worked with developed a program called Luke 19, or Grove Project, was based on Luke 19, the parable of the pounds or minus, and one servant multiplied it five times, another ten times, the third just he didn't do, do anything. And so as I went to churches, I would launch projects, I mean, all over the place, and I would say, will you take a five or ten dollar bill that we'll give you? 
And will you pray that God will lead you what to do with that for the next three months? So with that project, then I said, and if you multiply that several times, there'll be more people in India who will come to Christ. And you see, what my secret is, what I haven't told you is that when I was 12, I felt called into the ministry. But by the time I was 18, I felt like that God wanted to use me somehow to get churches more alive. That, that the people in the churches wouldn't just come on Sunday morning, but they would really follow the leading of the Spirit in their lives. Now, ladies, it's always been a more mature church, so it wasn't true here, but a lot of churches, the people just come. And I thought, could God use me that way? And uh, so I started out preaching a Luke 19 Project launch, and Medway Village Church in Medway, Massachusetts. They launched the project, and a year later they called me up and said, we want to do it again. Could you come and preach the launch? I said, sure. So I preached the launch, and at the end of the service, a terse New Englander came up to me, no smile on his face. He said, I'm glad we're doing that project again. I said, well, good. He said, yeah, he said, when you gave us the money the first time, I didn't know what I was going to do, but he said, I own my own auto parts business. And he said, I could get a brake shoe pad wholesale for just that amount, and I designated that brake shoe pad for India, and whatever I made in those three months, I'd give to India. And he said, so I was doing a computer check after a month and a half, and he said, do you know what I saw? I said, no. He said, there was an ordinate demand for that one serial number brake shoe pad. So he said, do you know what I did? And still no smile. I said, no. He said, I really wanted to see if it was God. So I said, I changed the serial number on a different brake shoe pad for India. Then he says to me, do you know what happened? I said, no, I'm, I'm just listening to this guy. He said, the demand for the second one picked up. It went like crazy until the end of the three months when the prop was going back into my pocket, it leveled off to the normal demand. That man will never be the same again. That really was fulfilling to me to think I could have a little part in that happening. And, Church after church, I saw God lead people in their individual lives what they should do. I was in a church in Washington, D.C. when the project was over and walked into a lady in the parking lot and she said, I'm glad we did that project. I said, I'm glad to hear that. She said, yeah, I multiplied my pound 40 times. I said, 40 times? I said, what'd you do? She said, I make really good homemade cookies. And I sold them by the dozen at work every week for the three months. I multiplied it 40 times. I was talking to her pastor a little later, in a couple of weeks after that, and I told him about this woman. She says, oh yeah, he says, that's so-and-so. She has her PhD in nuclear physics and she works at NASA. And that's where she sold the cookies. And I thought, boy, you never know what God will lead people to do. I'll tell you one more story. And this is all related, this is how God works. Scottsdale Bible Church in Phoenix did a project with us. Lane Garrett's church, who said I could stay at his home, I could talk to the church, so they did the project. And there was a lady in the church who was a professional golfer. Now she wasn't very good, but she was a professional golfer. She never won anything. And she said, I don't bake like a lot of women do. I don't sew like a lot of women do. I play golf, that's what I do. So she said, I thought, well, I'll take their $10 and I'll use that as 10% of my registration fee 
for the next major tournament was in, was in Hawaii. And so the tournament came. She won the whole thing, $80,000. And we got $8,000 from that one $10 bill. And the ladies LPGA used to meet in the Wilmington, Delaware Country Club, which is not far from where I used to live. And so I called her up. I said, I'd love to meet you. And we met at the country club. She was Betsy King's, Betsy King, yeah, roommate. Anyhow, I saw God moving in such wonderful ways. And then that opened the door. It's not happening now, but in the 70s and the 80s, churches would have a week of revival meetings. And right out of seminary, I was invited to do a week of revival meetings at Union Church in Ship Bottom, New Jersey on Long Beach Island. And then that Friday night, half the church came forward to rededicate their lives to Christ. And that's the church where some years later, Denny Barger became pastor. But anyhow, through this experience, God kept opening doors for me. I, I did a week of meetings um, in, in Norfolk, Virginia, South Norfolk Congregational Christian Church, a denomination. I did a week of meetings for a Methodist church in Northeast Maryland. I did a week for a Baptist church in Elkton, Maryland, a church of the Brethren in Woodbury, Pennsylvania. When I was 18, I thought, I would like to stir the church, but how in the world could I do it? I didn't even know anybody, I don't know any churches. And God opened the door for all of this to happen. And so I'm saying, if he can do this with an individual and a ministry, what can he do with a church like Ladies Church? We should be greatly encouraged. I want to make one last point that I think is important to share with you. That is, don't underestimate what God can do or who he can use. It's important. Don't underestimate what God can do. We're in great shape here because God is with us. And there's no limit to what God can do or who he can use. And I'll give you an illustration of that. One of the fellows on my ordination council was by the name of Frank. I won't say his last name on purpose. But his wife's name was Hazel. And they kept in touch with me my whole ministry. And there was a church that actually was part of our ministry. I had a, one Sunday I was there and had a table in the Sunday school. And Frank and Hazel, in their last years, attended that church. And they said, there's an individual in this church that's really interested in missions. Do you know him? I said, no. So Hazel, if you can picture her, she was 88 years old at the time. Frank was 90. They were still driving to church. But she was very frail. I mean, a puff of wind would blow her away. And this guy was coming out of the church service, and she got a hold of him, and she said, I've got someone you've got to meet. Frank, go get Bill Tate. And Frank got me at my table, and I came, and I met with him in the cloak room for five minutes and told him about our ministry. He says, call my secretary and make an appointment. So I did that. In about two weeks, I was, had an appointment with him. I was driving that appointment. I called Frank and Hazel. I said, please pray because I'm meeting with this guy. I don't know what's going to happen. And so I met with him for a half an hour. That evening, his secretary called and said, we'll be sending you a check for a year since 20... And every year since 2012, that man has given over 150000 a year to this ministry. It happened through an 88-year-old frail woman named Hazel.
Another thing that happened, and I'll, I'll close with this, I'll try to close John, I'll close with this story. Bill Scott was a missionary who found our work and I worked with him very closely and we were getting older and we knew we needed a replacement for him and for me. And we started interviewing people and nothing worked out. And the ministry had gotten pretty large in India and I said to Bill, what are we gonna do? And this is the spirit of Bill, and I just loved him so much. He said, it's not our work. He says, it's God's. He said, if God wants to let it die, let it die. That actually gave me great comfort. But this is what I didn't know. In two, now, this is about 2014, 2015, 2016. In 2006, a 12-year-old girl sent me a check for $100 with a beautiful note. She was from California. I had no idea who she was, what church she belonged to. I had to put on a detective hat and, and, and really see who she was. I found out who her parents were. Uh, her name is Byron and Kathy Hack, and I called the first time they weren't home. They said, you've reached the house of Hack. Leave a message and we'll call you back. I said, I think I like these people right away. So I called and I talked to her father and he said, I'm the chairman of the missions committee of Glen Kirk Presbyterian Church in Glendora. We have, and he said, people on Sunday morning, they have them big out there in California. And he said, my daughter, Christina, you can meet her, but why don't you come and share your ministry with the missions committee and I'll bring Christina to the missions committee and you can meet her. So I shared our ministry at the missions committee meeting and we always have a trip in. Anybody wants to go and see the work firsthand, you can see it every year. We take a few people. And there were about two weeks left for people to sign up, and I mentioned that. And this 12-year-old girl says to her father, I'm going to India. He said, you can't go to India. You're only 12 years old. You certainly can't go by yourself. If you go, I'll have to go, and your mother will have to give his permission. They went. And when they went on the tour in India, at an airport in India, a flight was canceled, and the group had to spend all night in the airport. And this is... Vintage Bill Scott, he said, you all sleep, I'll stay up and watch everybody. And Byron said, well, I can't sleep with my 12-year-old daughter here, I'll stay up with you. He got a crash course on our ministry all night long from its inception, all how God worked and what it done. And Byron came home and he and his wife started doing volunteer work with us. I mean, they did exceptional work. In 2016, we said, this guy has to be a member of our board. And Bill was getting older, he was our board liaison to India, and we said, let's have him start to go to India with Bill Scott so he can get to, pardon me, know everybody there. And so he did that, and Bill died in about 2018. And in 2020, Byron Hack became the new president of Glad Tidings India. I can't tell you how good he is. He does a Zoom with me every week. He says, Bill, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? It's not like he's in, I'm out, we work together. Like me, he doesn't talk about raising money, it talks about making ministry happen in India. God did that through a 12-year-old girl many years before we even knew it was happening. I want to conclude by reading a passage of scripture to you from Exodus 14, verses 10 through 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there, there were the Egyptians marching after them. 
They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never need to be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. My closing word in this message is to ladies, stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord will provide if he wants you to have it.